The lesson is taken from Leviticus chapter 23 and beginning at verse 15. The Feast of Weeks. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this bread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering, and two lambs, each a year old, for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering, together with the bread of the first fruits. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. If, we, if you could put the screen down, the title of this talk was going to be, well, is, What Harvest Festival? And having read the chapter in, Le- in Leviticus, some of you might be worried that I'm going to talk about the details of the Feast of Weeks the amount of grain in the wave offering, etc. Don't worry. I'm going to attend to one verse, and one verse only in that, in that uh, reading, and that's the last verse, verse 22. Verse 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. And what we're going to do in the next few minutes is look briefly at caring for the poor and the aliens, the materially poor in our world. Now, I was brought up in Kent and uh, used to attend a local Anglican church, and and Harvest Festival there was always a feast of agriculture and colour, celebrating the bounty of the uh, produce grown in the Garden of of England. I was going to say Eden, sorry. Uh, The Garden of England. I, I was part of a very large family, and my brothers and sisters... And I sometimes got bored during the sermon. And we were a family that was brought up on Giles cartoons. And so during boring sermons, we would uh, silently act out Giles cartoons. And the others had to guess which cartoon it was. Um, And one of our favorites was Grandma in church at Harvest Festival. During the first hymn, uh, she's pointing to a very large marrow and glaring at the vicar saying, you didn't plow any fields or scatter. You nicked that marrow from my allotment on the way here. Harvest Festival is a wonderful time, and it is right to give God thanks for the bountiful harvest that we have. 
But not everyone in the world experiences a Kentish or even an Oxfordshire harvest. I'm just back from Malawi, which is one of the poorest countries in Africa, and the rainy season is just about to start. And once the rainy season gets underway, people will plant their crops and hope and hope that in May and June they'll grow a new crop of maize, which is the staple diet. As the time of harvesting draws nearer, so starvation sets in every year as the food that was saved over from last year uh, runs out. And a time of starvation starts, a time when many hundreds of children will die. In that country, yes, there is a harvest, but there's often not a harvest festival. I'm currently involved in building a hospital in Niger, and this week, the United Nations declared Niger the poorest country and the least developed country in the world. Um, It's in the middle of the Sahara Desert, so that's not quite surprising. In fact, it really is the Sahara Desert. People there don't have great harvests. Um, This isn't to talk about child mortality, but uh, in this year, as in every year, thousands of children will die in Niger with malnutrition and diseases that could have been helped just by having enough to eat. This is God's world, but not everyone shares in a harvest as we know it. There are many questions that follow this. Perhaps the biggest one is, why does God allow such starvation and poverty? Now, I would love to answer that, but I'm going to duck that question because it's a sermon in itself. Perhaps the vicar may ask someone or even me to speak about it at another date. But I want to I want to answer four other questions. Firstly, where are the poor in the world? Well, there are poor everywhere in the world. Uh, First slide, please. Um, However, if we really do want to find the poor, uh, we have to look beyond the shores of UK, US, uh, North America, Western Europe. Um, I put up a map here, which is a map um, by, made by the sociology department at the University of Manchester. Uh, I'll give you the website if anyone wants it afterwards. Uh, with the world drawn in proportion, with countries drawn in proportion to poverty and malnutrition. Uh, you will see that uh, Western Europe, US and Australia and Japan hardly occur on that map. Uh, I, I sometimes wonder if that's how God sees the world. It's certainly not how we see it. That is where uh, poverty um, abounds. We sometimes think we're poor. I had a friend who's in Christian service whinging at me earlier on this year about his poverty and how he has to manage on an income of 20 grand a year, 20,000 pounds a year. Next slide, please. Um, Earning 20,000 pounds a year on a global level puts you in the top 1% of earners. Um, If you're a stats nerd, I can give you lots more figures. But that's a very interesting graph of of who earns what in the world. Perhaps the most interesting thing is that it takes one and a half billion people before the line leaves the bottom of the graph. Uh, So if you earn more than £20,000 per year, you're in the top 1%. Yes, perhaps £20,000 in this part of Oxford makes you an extremely poor person. But globally, you're in the top 1%. Where are the poor in the world? Well, mainly there in where I showed you in the, in the previous map. Second question, should Christians be involved in sharing God's love with the needy in our world? The answer is, well, thank you very much for someone for the answer. That, that concludes the sermon. The answer is, 
The answer is yes, yes, yes. 300 times. There are more than 300 passages in the Bible about our duty to the poor and to the needy. There, is in fact more, there are, in fact, more passages in the Bible about the God's people's duty to the poor than there are about salvation and the gospel. You can do the maths if you want, and there's websites you can go to that give you the number of passages there are about poverty. And I don't want to labor this point, as I want to show later on that um, serving and loving the poor is, in fact, part of the gospel. The gospel is crammed in every section with exhortations to look after the poor and the needy. Now, I'm not going to give you all 300, but just a few examples from the sections of the Bible. And you don't need to look them up. And if anybody wants these references afterwards, they can uh, email me and I'll send them all to them. But starting with the wisdom, we're starting with the Pentateuch at the beginning of the Bible, Deuteronomy uh, 15, verse 7. If there is a poor man among you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards him. The same chapter, verse 9. If you are hard-fisted, uh, hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards him, you are committing sin against God. Proverbs, the wisdom literature, chapter 14, verse 21. Blessed is he who is kind to the needy. Verse 31. He who is kind to the needy honors God. The prophets. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, actually one of my favorite verses in the Bible, discussing the sins of Sodom. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. We all think they're going to come up with a list of, um, of, of unspeakable sins. No, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and had no concern for the poor. I wonder sometimes if that's not a verse that we should apply to the West um, are we, and ask ourselves, are we guilty of arrogance, overconsumption, and total lack of concern for the poor? Uh, we move to the New Testament in the Gospels. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 2, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. He doesn't say, it'd be nice if some of you gave to the needy. He actually says, when you give, this is what um, God's people should be doing. Uh, we all know the Matthew chapter, sorry, Mark chapter 10, verse 21, when a, wise young, when a young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looked at him and said, well, you can start with this. Sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. We move on to Acts. And St. Paul, amazing man that he was, spreading the gospel around the known world. Acts chapter 24, verse 17, reminds us that as well as his major work in spreading the gospel, Paul took money and took gifts for the poor in the places that he visited. Uh, in Galatians, in the epistles, Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul uh, went to Jerusalem. Uh, it was his commission, as we've got a military theme, this was really Paul's commissioning where he met the big men of the church, Peter, James, and John, the fathers of the church, and they recognized him as an apostle. They said, Paul, bless you, son, off you go as an apostle to the Gentiles. And they said, we just want to remind you one thing. And that one thing wasn't make sure you use the NIV, make sure you put a dob collar on. That one thing that they reminded him, he said, we just want to remind you one thing. Please look after the poor. And, and in the epistles, 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? 
So my answer to question two, should we Christians be involved in sharing God's love with the needy? You cannot read the Bible without coming away, coming away with that absolutely accentuated yes. Question three, why should we be involved with helping the needy in our world? There are many reasons. I'm just going to give you five. Um, had to keep this sermon short. Uh, f- first reason, it is, in loving others, is how we show our love for Christ. Wonderful passage in Matthew 25. If we had more time, I'd read it to you about the sheep and the goats at the end of the world. And, and uh, the, the king calls the sheep and says, um, come, into the, uh, come into the paradise that waits for you. Um, because when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was needy, when I was in prison in this world, you helped me. And the, and the sheep say, but when did we see you hungry or thirsty? And God says to them, whenever you saw, whenever you saw the least of these, my brethren, and you helped them, you were helping me. So first reason why we should, uh, why we should be involved in, in love to the needy, because that's how we show our love for Christ. Second reason, um, loving others is one of the ways that we experience Christ in our lives. Mother Teresa said, It is in showing Christ's love to others that he shows his love to us and dwells in our hearts. Third reason, it's actually one of the things the church is for. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, when the, the church started to grow, many people were joining the church, and, they, and the, the, the leaders said, well, we've got to get this, get this rabble sorted out. One of the things we've got to do is get some administration and some order in this group. And the first thing, that the, ch- the first order that was set in the church was setting aside seven wise and godly men to deal with the needy, to deal with the needy widows and the others who had needs within the church, within that group. So serving those in need is one of the things our church is for. Uh, reason number four why we should care. Um, loving others and caring for those in need is a very integral part of the gospel. In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist has many people coming to him, crowds coming to him for baptism, and he calls them to repentance. And as he, after he's called them to repentance, they say, what should we do? And John the Baptist says, well, you can start with this. Anyone who's got two shirts can give one to someone who hasn't got a shirt. Anyone who's got more than enough food can give it to those who, who, who haven't got enough food. Uh, John the Baptist's job was to prepare people for Christ, and that's his preparation for the gospel. We've already heard of Jesus' words to the, to the wise ruler, to the young ruler who came to him, um, who wanted to have eternal life. And Jesus said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I have to be very careful here, uh, and I don't want to be misunderstood or that, that uh, Mr. Chris Larvey is saying that uh, doing good deeds to others is the gospel. It most emphatically isn't. When I was a teenager and gave my life to Christ, I memorized Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And I just want to read them out again. For it's by grace that you've been saved, through faith, and this not from, yourself, from yourselves. 
It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Our salvation and our gospel is a gospel of grace, and doing good works does not save us. But as a young teenager, I didn't read the verse that followed it. And uh, sometimes in presenting the gospel, we don't read the verse that follows it. Chapter, verse 10, for we are, good, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. No good works don't bring us salvation, but we are saved in order to do good works. And those good works, those good deeds, that love for those in our world in need is a way, is a mark of the person who has been saved. Reason number five, uh, my last reason, why we should be involved with showing God's love to the poor We do know that each of us will stand before God at the end of our lives. In that amazing book by Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life, which has now sold more than 16 million copies, it's a very good book, slightly American for us in North Oxford, but I would recommend you read it. Um, He starts the book by saying, we'll all have an exam at the end of our lives. Now, I examine in universities all around the world, and... uh, we, we, we test people's knowledge. One thing we don't do when we're testing their knowledge is tell them the questions that we're going to ask them in advance um, because we, they'd have all the answers. But uh, Rick Warren explains in this book that uh, the exam that we'll, we'll have at the end of our life, God does give us the questions in advance. And uh, he says we'll be asked two questions, two very clear questions. The first one is, what did you do with my son? And that will depend where we spend eternity. And the second question is, what did you do with all that I gave you? Your brains, your talents, your money. And that will determine uh, how we spend eternity. Michael Green, who uh, is a friend to many of us here, wrote, there is one test and one test only of our love for God. And it's a very uncomfortable one. It, It is this. What did you do for the poor and the needy? Well, my fourth question is, what should we do for the poor? This is going to be short because I can't answer from the pulpit uh, for everybody here. There are many, many ways. For some people, there will be giving of our time and our money. Some people will be supporting others who work for the needy. Some will be working with development organizations some with Emmaus and other um, social action organizations, some in poverty reduction strategies on a globe, at a global level, some in politics, some going overseas, some not. If you're not sure what you can, how you can best, best show God's love to the needy, pray, read, and talk to others. There are many ways. I can say, in closing, that if we dedicate our lives to sharing God's love with the needy in our world, to those who don't have a harvest festival, to the many who don't have a harvest festival as we know it, and if we ask God to use us as a channel of his love to those who are hungry, thirsty, naked, and dying, then it will involve sacrifice, and it won't be easy, but it will bring us joy and a deeper experience of Christ as we act in his name 
as his hands and feet on earth and with him in our hearts. Amen.